0: Would you want to like do this again or do you were you were you done with it? And you're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm done. Oh, my gosh. I would
1: do it again in a heartbeat. Oh, my gosh. Same trail (laughs) all over. Yeah, I would do it again tomorrow. I would do it again (laughs) this year. I'd do it again in 10 years.
0: Welcome back to I'm the Villain. (laughs) Um, we're here with our friend Margo who used to be DeAndre's housemate and then went to go hike the PCT which for those of you who don't know what the PCT is the Pacific Crest Trail it's like the Appalachian Trail but
2: on the (laughs) west coast
0: (laughs) I had not heard of it personally (laughs) Um, so we're just gonna talk about that Um, Margot, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience, whatever you think
1: they should know about you? Sure. My name is Margot. This year, my partner and I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a continuous footpath from the Mexican border to the Canadian border. And it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you want to do that? Yeah, a bunch of reasons. The kind of funny anecdote I like to tell people is that I had been trying to hike the John Muir Trail for about three years, which is this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scenic trail in California that goes through rugged mountains and has waterfalls and frozen glacial lakes and things like that. And it's really competitive to get a permit. So I had tried applying for a permit for three years. And when I didn't get it the third year, someone jokingly said, Well, you could hike the whole Pacific Crest Trail and then and, and the two the John Muir trails within the Pacific Crest Trail. And they said, well, you could just hike the whole thing. And I said, that's a ridiculous idea, hiking an extra 2,000 miles to hike this 200-mile trail. But mm-hmm. then the idea crept in, and I started to think, wow, yeah, that's a possible idea.
3: <laughs> and then you went and walked for six months.
1: Yeah. And then I walked for six months. And um, some of the other reasons I was interested in it... I wanted to uproot my life a little bit and shake things up and see what I liked about my life and what I wanted to reinvent. I wanted to deepen my relationship with discomfort a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I wanted to go on an adventure with my partner.
3: Yeah. Talk about trail culture. I feel like like hikers are weird <laughs> and you you guys have names and like do weird things. Like, talk about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, trail culture is a really interesting niche subculture. Um, When you eliminate the normal stressors of people's lives and impose very physical stressors, uh, some interesting things happen people are going through a lot of the same things. Like people are getting blisters all at the same time and really bonding over that. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie and bonding and groupthink. <laughs> I think it's really interesting to watch people, uh, as you approach a new town. So the Pacific crest trail is, uh, punctuated by towns about every five days. So you hike for five days and then you enter a town and you resupply in your food, wash your clothes, take a shower, the like. And as you near a town, everyone starts talking about the town and what they've heard the best bakeries are and how this one laundry shop is going to be laundry. Um, laundromat is going to be closed for the entire time. And all this town gossip starts coming up and <laughs> it's amazing to hear the kind of group thing culture. There's also a weird, weird thing where people go by trail names and people get their trail names for uh, often a silly thing they did or something they're really proud of. Some people give themselves trail names and other people, they're bestowed upon them. And trail names are things like um, pickles, Star Crunch, Moss, Uh I thought you were literally saying people
0: refer to themselves as names of trails.
3: No, like, oh, no, that would almost make more sense.
1: No, it, it almost would. <laughs> so it's a name that you go by only on trail and it's super weird because there's people that I know really well and we've been through intense mountain wilderness scenarios together and I only know them as quadzilla or sprite
3: <laughs> do you so you went you went hiking with your partner when you were hiking did you think of her as her real name or her trail name definitely name.
1: <laughs> <I was> <laughs> <laughs> well what do what were your trail names so my partner's trail name was robin hood and my trail name was waffles Why why did you come up with those particular names? (laughs) We did not come up with them. They were bestowed upon us. My partner had this green hat that she would wear all the time. And when she had pretty short hair, I would even venture to say bald when she started. And when she'd get hot, she'd like flip up the back. And it had a very Robin Hood vibe. And so a postmaster in a town actually we kept going back to the post office in the times we were there and to the postmaster called Avon Robin Hood. Uh, And then it stuck. And it's funny, months later, other people in our life, after she'd stopped wearing the hat, other people in our life would meet Avon and say, Oh yeah, that does make sense. Robin Hood. And we were always like, what do you see? How do you see Robin Hood? (laughs) But I guess it fit.
0: That's so, I wonder if like it is, dangerous because you are in kind of a dangerous situation, right? When you're like hiking a trail to some degree, right? Like, does that, I don't know. Do people think about that as part of this? Like, you know, if you just like found somebody who was like, you know, not incapacitated to the point where they couldn't speak to you. I don't know if you've encountered a situation like that, you know?
1: Yeah. I, um, I have heard of that causing problems and before leaving for the trail, one of the pieces of wilderness safety advice is to share your trail name with your emergency contacts so that if they haven't heard from you, they know when they're making a posting on all the places one, a a hiker might see like a Facebook page or something of the like, that the people looking at it know I'm both Waffles and Margot. Um, mm. And I actually heard a woman a few years ago who died hiking the Appalachian Trail. A big part of the confusion was that someone else with a kind of similar description was seen 20 miles south of her or thereabouts. And the mm-hmm. search party went to the wrong area because folks uh, mistook the two women for each other. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that definitely could be mm-hmm.
0: dangerous.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, is the overall premise of having a trail name for safety because you're meeting all these strangers and like, you don't know whether you trust them or something? I think
3: it's just a culture thing, I don't
1: thing, think right? so. I think it is more a oh, okay. summer campy vibe of Got leaning it. into okay. a new identity and um, sort of earning your trail name. hmm Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm so how long did it take to like adjust you get on the trail and you know, you have like six months or so of walking ahead of you, like both like physically and mentally. I mean, how, what what was the shock? Like, what was the culture shock? like?
1: Do you mean adjust to the trail culture or to the physical hiking? I think to the
3: physical, I meant more so the physical hiking component and like knowing that this is your life for the next six months.
1: Yeah, I would say it maybe took about a month. My aunt something, said something really insightful. Uh, Aven was sending out an email every few weeks to
3: our the friends PCC Tribune. At home.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the Tribune. And my aunt said, as I was reading it, I noticed that Avon shifted from talking about the PCT as a trip we were on to eventually talking about it as our life right now. Um, and I think that shift is really telling of eventually we started thinking about it, uh, in a more permanent way. And I even feel like towards the end of the trip, when I'd be in town, I would think, Oh, I'm ready to go home now. But going home was hiking in a continuous ever-changing place, but home was in the tent and that routine, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. and what about physically still like still a month
1: uh physically i would say maybe a month but it was changing all the time the pct is often broken down into about five sections so the first section is the desert then the sierra mountains northern or northern california oregon and washington and in the desert some of the challenges are that you have to carry a lot of water. Mm-hmm. So for me, it took a lot to adjust to the heaviness of an extra six liters of water, which is about 20 pounds. Um, and then when we were in the Sierra, we had bare canisters and extra gear in that way. Um, but we didn't, we had to time our day differently because some of some of the factors there that didn't exist in the d- desert. So all those factors were always adjusting and we're always getting used to something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And almost everyone goes like from starts in the south and goes north. Most people go northbound because mm-hmm. if you go southbound you tend to run into more weather problems. For example, this year Oregon and Washington had a lot of late season snow that California didn't have so those mountain ranges were impassable by anyone that didn't have really intense mountaineering experience until pretty late in the year and then by the time they were passable um, there were wildfires in oregon so if you had started that late you would have also run into wildfires that were closing the trail there and then you get down to the desert and there are droughts and water shortages there that make the water carries too long to be feasible unless you are really, really fast and can carry a lot of water.
3: That's wild as fuck. Mm -hmm. Just like, it seems like it was like, you know, if you're going to do it, it's almost meant to be done northbound. Like like weather-wise. I I
1: think so. I think um, with the changes in the climate, Mm. that seems like the most reasonable.
3: How (laughs) I feel like you all told me about weird relationships with like the town's locals and the hikers, like these, these towns seemed like kind of like in in ways like interdependent with the hikers, but also there are like people that hated you. Right.
1: Yeah. Hated might be a stretch. I don't want to, uh, <laughs> you don't want to make misrepresent the, <laughs> any of the towns. You don't want to make the townies mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so one of the interesting things we, we, we're on the West coast for six months, but we had a really unique West coast experience. We were passing through these tiny, tiny towns and, um, a lot of them only had a post office and a general store. And so it was a whole economy for that general store or the one restaurant to have these hikers coming through every year. And also hikers can be entitled. If you, if you put a group of people who are privileged enough to hike the PCT through the struggle, self-imposed struggle of the PCT, they feel like they're really going through it, even though it's an incredibly privileged experience, right? So that leads to this entitled hiker who who's in town and absolutely needs what they need right now, whether it be a burger or a shower or a warm place to sleep. Right. Um, so I think that the townie is in a hard spot supporting. The needy hiker right. uh but yeah we met some really interesting characters
3: <laughs> wow yeah I, it's i think that there's an interesting it's interesting to think about like the privilege part like do you feel like you need cash like the pct it's a i'm it's, assuming it's, it's expensive to buy the gear right
1: yes it can it definitely can be um i would say you can you can hike the PCT relatively affordably, mm-hmm. but it means going without a lot of the comforts that make it possible to endure the whole thing. For example, if you sleep in a campground every time you get to town, you'll probably spend 5 to $20 on that campground versus a hotel, 100 150 something like that. And if you don't have an indoor place to sleep for the entire time you're hiking, you'll be very burnt out by the time you get to the end. Yeah. Right. So, and there are places to make, there are ways to make it cost effective, but it's so much less comfortable doing so. Um, my partner and I were really lucky to be able to pay off our debts and save off money, up money before leaving. So we didn't have, an exceptionally tight budget, which I think made it really enjoyable. But yeah, definitely. Um, you have to be able to take off months of work. So that in itself is just a huge privilege. Mm-hmm. And both of you had quit your jobs.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Some people. Because I. Because some people worked. Had some sort of like part-time freelance gig where they. They had a freelance writing job and they wrote an article every month or something but i mean that that is also a different type of privilege right so
0: right the only comparable thing that i've done is i've done a little bit of the community santiago in spain and i think that one is much more considered a like you there are pretty much towns, like, you know, there's not long stretches of not being able to be in a town. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a more sort of like spiritual yeah. thing, you know, component to that. Cause it's like a, this pilgrimage. Um, Cause when I was there, I didn't feel like a lot of the people who were at the hostels, like had that kind of relationship with us that you're describing, like the townie's having with the hikers necessarily. Yeah. I should
1: also mention that there are folks called trail angels who <laughs> devote what you're laughing at. Trail I, yeah, angels.
3: I just, I have no idea what's coming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is another <laughs> kooky subculture thing. There are these folks called trail angels who put so much time and energy and love into supporting hikers. And for whatever reason, whether they know someone that is into through hikes or they have hiked some of the trail themselves or all of it, they, uh, give hikers rides and feed them and and like do these special surprise type things where they might leave a cooler of Gatorade on a really hot desert section under a tree and they go back every week and refill it with snacks and food and stuff like that. or other trail angels uh, open up their home in their backyard to hikers to stay there. Uh, the very first town we went into and the very first hitch we got, was a woman that worked in the local town. And she sort of, as we were, she was driving us into the town, she sort of was feeling us out. And then by the end of the ride, she said, all right, well, if you all wanna come over for dinner tonight, we're having spaghetti and you can also stay in the RV in our backyard. And we'd heard about Trail Angels and we were like, what, this is too good to be true. We could have paid $200 to be at the local hotel, but, this woman's just offering us her free RV and being endlessly generous with her food and time and space and whatnot.
3: Mm -hmm. And this is like, like the culture of like catching a ride and like, that's all, that's all very normal, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Super normal to hitchhike. In fact, when we left the trail, even, was definitely saying, I'm not going to drive anymore. I'm just going to hitchhike everywhere I go. <laughs> and within these small towns, people see people with their thumb out and with a big backpack, and they know, oh, this is a PCT hacker. This is a thing. They're rolling through the town. It's whether they feel annoyed or happy or whatever, it's, they kind of get yeah. it. Uh, and more often than not,
3: they stop. Mm. Did you ever like feel, I mean, was there ever any pressure to give like people driving you cash?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, we I would say always or almost always offered to give people money for gas Um, and I think that can lead to some of the not doing that can lead to some of the animosity between hikers because no one wants to feel taken advantage of uh, or like their generosity is taken advantage of Um, and then in some parts of the trail There are trail angels who have a sort of informal business where they're opening up their home, but they also expect you to pay thirty five dollars to sleep on their living room floor, which is, you know, perfectly reasonable. You're doing their laundry there and and the like.
3: Uh Yeah. Did
1: did you ever have like any bad
0: situations happen where because like are you carrying cash with you to pay these people as
1: you're going along? Yeah, we carried some cash. Um, yeah. But I did not ever have any bad or uncomfortable situations. Um, a lot of people ask that. I would say more than uncomfortable. Sometimes when we are on the trail, there were people that were annoying. And in a <laughs> social space where there's not the boundary of, all right, I'm going to bed and closing my door. Uh, it's harder to push people away, you know, like it's harder to say, Hey, you can't camp here. You're annoying me with your endless talking. Um, mm-hmm. And the social cues are just different, I guess. Yeah. Some people aren't good at social mm-hmm. cues anyway.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think like there's like a, it's like, a, there's like such a like a, a strong ecosystem with this, like around this PCT that like, I don't know, like at least like safety in terms of like people murdering people, it doesn't feel like it maybe it does maybe it doesn't feel like it was top of mind. Would you agree with that?
1: Not any more than anywhere else in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Safety, homophobia, um, sexism, you know, the like, it it was not any more present than other places I go in the
3: world. Did you ever feel like you, could not do it. Like, did you ever feel like you might quit?
1: I never felt like I wanted to quit, but I did have the thought cross my mind that I might not be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So in the desert, I was, my bag was pretty heavy with water weight. And at the end of the day, every day my back would hurt a lot and I had some nerve pain in my back. Um, And then towards the end in Oregon and Washington, my knees were bothering me a lot, especially on the downhills. And in both of those times, I felt like there's a chance that I'll be injured and I can't go on. Like, it's not smart to, Um, but I think even had more experiences where she had really hit a wall with frustration and felt like I don't want to go on.
3: Yeah isn't there like some like sizable chunk of hikers end up not completing Did you say like 60%
1: 70% I think it's, it's it's really hard to get the real number but I think it's about 75% don't complete um and th- and we noticed a lot of our friends drop off and leave the trail around northern California
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think after hiking all of California and realizing you still have a lot to go, people got bored or disheartened or just decided they were done with it being uncomfortable. Mm
3: -hmm. Did the vast majority of people you meet, like did when you met them towards like say towards the beginning or whatever, like what did, did most people plan to complete or do you like a lot of people are a lot of people like, yeah, I don't know. Like I might jump off
1: most people we met plan to compete complete excuse me some people identify themselves as section hikers which means they plan to do a section and possibly plan to finish the trail over many years but say they have two months off over the summer and every summer they're going to do a section Uh Mm
3: -hmm. that's fun that sounds like a a, a nice like more maybe more sustainable way to be able to hike the trail
1: yeah yeah i uh in some ways I envy the section hikers because they are way more committed to the trail in a way they're coming back every single year mm-hmm. and they also get to pick the best, uh, time to do every season. Right. So like some sections are incredibly buggy, but that's just when you happen to be going through it. So you can't do it any other time. It's just, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, if you're through hiking it in one go Yeah. or snowy or hot. Yeah.
0: I'm really curious how you are able to, like, what, like, effect, if any, you felt like this had on your relationship. Because I feel like I, I can't think of a single person that I could <laughs> go through something like that with and, like, you know, make it on
1: the other side. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um I think one really big takeaway is that we learned through a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. For example we were basically doing the same thing every day. So a lot of the same things came up and the mosquitoes were really frustrating to Aben. So every day I would feel so uncomfortable with her frustration. And I would say, oh, do you want the bug spray? How can I help? Can I, do, you know, I would make suggestions. And what she actually wanted was just to work through the anger and frustration on her own And it was going to be fine. And she knew it was going to be fine. But my instinct was to offer something because it made me feel better. And I, on the thousandth time of wanting to offer bug spray, realized, okay, I'm just going to back off and chill out by myself and let even work through this on her own. Um, And the same thing is true for me. One big thing that came up for me a lot, which I already knew but when I get hungry, it makes me super sad and I get in my head and I start overthinking interpersonal things and even mm-hmm. learned to be really generous about saying, hey, let's sit down. Do you want a snack, by the way? And that would solve all my problems.
0: Yeah. Just like the the classic, like you're we're all just babies. Like, yeah. <laughs>
1: totally. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it we also just had so much fun together and it was so nice to be in this great daily routine together where we were walking through the world, I don't know. Yeah. It was awesome. Do you know, but any, mm-hmm. any
3: any trail drama where people that were dating broke up?
1: Totally. Yeah. Um, we were we were on trail in this kind of remote section one day and stumbled upon, upon someone who definitely hadn't been around other people in like a week. And he was just like, oh my god, people I can chat with. And he just told us all the drama of his trail experience, which was like two people that were dating each other and started the trail together, and one person who was in their trail family. Oh, that's a whole nother trail. <laughs> fact, who was in their like group of hikers, and the the girlfriend and the friend were sneaking off and hooking up in the woods. And the boyfriend didn't know about it. And then they broke up and then they got back together. And, you know, like any real life problem also happens on the trail. Um, so I guess the amount of drama you encounter sort of about the, the people you're around. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So a trail family is a nickname for um, a group of hikers that consistently hike together. Maybe goes to that. Mm-hmm. Side, Did you have one? Yeah. Uh, most people have a few trail families in the time that they're hiking, but when I was going through the Sierra, which is a region of mountains that are particularly rugged, uh, I hiked with, there was like a group of five of us and then a sort of larger group of 10 that we'd hike with sometimes. And we were, kind of committed to our group of five of making sure we got through these strenuous mountain passes together. Um, And then in Washington, we had a little trail family of three and we hiked together every day. And in between, we had lots of friends that we would see sometimes, but it didn't feel like a strong commitment of we'll hike together and camp together every Mm -hmm. day. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, How do hikers communicate with each other?
1: So, One way hikers communicate is through a GPS device. Um, most hikers carry a GPS beacon with them, which mine's a Garmin spot. It's like a little, um, GPS location device where you can Bluetooth tether it to your phone and send messages. Sometimes folks I hadn't seen, I would Garmin them and, Most people don't leave it on all day. So you have this slow form communication where you text them and a day and a half later, they get back to you because they finally turned theirs back on and vice versa. Um, If you're just trying to communicate via phone, then you'll catch each other once every 10 days Mm -hmm. because you're in and out of towns. And we also used an app to navigate we also carried maps with us, but most people don't. And um there's like a check-in component of that where it'll send a ping to anyone that you're following.
3: Oh fun. It's like an app, it's like it's like hiker social media?
1: Yeah. Kind of. So it's yeah, it's like hiker social media, but really slow form because when you go into town, it finally connects. And then when the person that's following you goes into town again or has has service again. Um There's Mm -hmm. connects. So finally you can sort of see, Oh, my friend who I haven't seen in two weeks has been hiking about this pace. And they're three days behind me, even though we haven't seen each other in two weeks. If that makes
3: sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Are these, uh, if you needed emergency rush too, would you use the Garmin to get that?
1: Yes. Thank you. Uh, The, the real Function of it is not for messaging your friends and telling them <laughs> how buggy it's been. It's so that if you needed an emergency rescue, you could do that. Uh, and I also had a preset message on mine that I sent out to my emergency contact every night to let them know I was camped and had survived the day, which really felt unnecessary, but an assurance to my family members. Mm-hmm.
3: Wait, so can you send it? How did they receive it? Your emergency contact?
1: It comes in as a text message, so you can, like, put phone numbers on it of who it goes out to, so it comes
3: in as a text message. That's kind of fun and wild.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, Do you feel like, I mean, do you feel like the trail changed you? And if so, like, how? Do you feel different now that you've done it?
1: Um, Right off the trail, I feel like I noticed some interesting body changes, which are kind of fun and interesting uh i felt like cars were incredibly loud <laughs> in a way that seems so strange and I also noticed smells some smells so much more like i noticed perfume and cologne and laundry detergent and I feel like I could smell them from across the room yeah but I did not notice bo-huh
3: Uh <laughs> that great makes sense for myself
1: <laughs> and not other people um and, and ter- in like a broader sense. I feel like it made me a little bit more socially anxious. (laughs) (laughs) And it made me uh, a little bit more certain that I want my life to be simpler. I want to spend less time making decisions that feel sort of irrelevant and not fun. And Mm -hmm. I love having a routine.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I want to spend less time working, but who doesn't? Yeah. Just (laughs) like.
3: interesting about the social anxiety part just because yeah. you like interacted with way less people or interacted way less frequently is that why do you think
1: i'm not sure probably <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was interesting that you were saying that like you felt like you know a, a lot of your senses were like kind of high like like cars being really loud because we just had an episode with a friend of mine named Rosie who had a concussion. Mm. And he was describing about how like that experience of like basically having brain trauma, like, you know, caused him to also have these like hypersensory, like, you know, like just overstimulation from light, from motion and stuff like that. And he was also sort of like, it is wild that we live in a world where we're just like this level of simulation is just normal for us because it is like objectively from an animal standpoint, like terrifying to be in a car. It's so loud. Having an ambulance go by so traumatizing, like, and we're just, it's just totally a normal part of our day. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Totally can echo that. Um, I feel like. When I'm living in D.C. Now and before the trail, if I go on a run, my instinct is to put on a podcast or an audiobook or something or some music, and it's almost like a distraction from all the noises out there. And so I have this visual stimulation, and I'm listening to something, and the something is kind of distracting me from my own thoughts in a nice way and also keying me into something. But I was so, so surprised when I was hiking. I rarely felt inclined to... Put on music um, or even audiobooks, which I love so much, and I feel like I just like didn't need to unplug from anything. Um, huh. Yeah, and I felt really able to be present in the moment without having to focus on it because there was so much less stimulation. And there was stimulation in other ways. There are times where the wind was blowing really hard, and it was really distracting and overwhelming. Or mm-hmm. it was raining or really humid or hot, uh-huh. but it, it's not the same slot machine type of stimulation that we see in, or that I see in my life when I'm in DC. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: But do you feel like you, so you came off the trail, like how long ago, like two months ago?
1: Yeah. We finished September 15th. That's oh, so a
3: little longer, three months ago. Do you, are you re-addicted to your phone?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah.
3: Or do you, you're like completely back in.
1: I mean, I feel like I'm more aware of how much I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but not less addicted to it.
0: Would you want to like do this again? Or do you, were you, were you done with it? And you're like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm done. Oh my gosh. I
1: would do it again in a heartbeat. Oh my gosh. Same trail (laughs) all over. Yeah. I would do it again tomorrow. I would do it again (laughs) this year. I'd do it again in 10 years.
0: Wow. DeAndre, would you want to do something like that?
3: Um, I feel like I would be more so down for like a long-term cycling. Bro. Like, yeah. There's something about I mean, anyone that knows me knows I fucking hate walking, so that sounds I mean, like the idea of walking <laughs> every day for 6 months is like my personal hell. I do really like cycling and I um you know, I like, that's something that I feel like I could like feasibly train for. And like, it was, I think it'd be cool to do long distance bike rides. It's something I would like to do at some point in my life, but not like, you know, I don't have any big aspirations to like, cross the country or like cross this these states or whatever. But I think I would never, never, I would never do a six month hike. I would be down to like train and do like a week long hike. But yeah.
1: Yeah, but once you do yeah. a week-long hike, you might get hooked.
3: I mean, that's, I think that's ultimately fine. Like, if <laughs> well, I do want to get ha- hooked, that's cool. But, like, <laughs> you know, there are worse problems to have, I think.
0: Yeah. How long did it take you to train at the beginning when you were getting ready for the PCT?
1: Um, did you train at all? Yes. Everything on the internet, or a lot of people on the internet say that the trail train to itself, which I would basically agree with. Um, mm-hmm if you start hiking and you are not in the best of shape, doing it every day will very quickly get you ready for that. I trained for a marathon before leaving. And as like, okay, if I'm, I've, I've run marathons in the past. And if I'm ready to run a marathon, then that kind of checks the box for my training in a way that's, um, easier for me than trying to invent some PCT specific training plan. So I did that. Um, We also prepared for it by making a lot of our food. We dehydrated food and sent it to ourselves throughout the trail. And then we had really delicious nourishing meals that way. And I also took a wilderness first responder course. So I felt very prepared in the first aid realm but it to me planning is really fun so I leaned into like figuring out every detail and then knowing that as soon as we started it would all turn upside down because it's just never what you expect uh, but I had a lot of fun
2: with that mm-hmm.
0: yeah see I've been reading um station 11 which I think mm-hmm. I saw in your house so I don't know who was reading it or if it was you or somebody
1: else it wasn't um, me but I have read it yeah
0: but Oh, my gosh. And so I've been thinking about like what would happen if we had like, you know, this apocalypse with 99 percent of the population died or whatever. <laughs> and like, what would my, you know, contribution be to the <laughs> to the like, you know, the the like small group of people that we're all trying to survive together? I'm like, now I really should take a survival class. <laughs> you should <laughs> so yeah. probably would be a
1: great investment. <laughs> yeah, I um. You know, I feel like if nothing else, it feels very empowering to know some basic medical things. And the difference between a wilderness first responder and other first aid is like, how do you care for people if EMTs are more than five hours away? Mm -hmm. So, uh, one of our friends was crossing a, a ice bridge over a Creek and, his foot went through the ice bridge and he toppled head first and landed with his head smashed, smashed into a rock and he immediately had this giant goose egg on his forehead. And I felt shockingly comfortable and confident bandaging him up, checking for uh, concussions, checking for spinal injuries and the like. And I think after that, I felt even more confident knowing I could take care of my friends if anything happened.
3: Yeah. what do you do That's if someone cool. does that? aside from like like bandaging wise, I guess is more so what I'm asking. if there's not like an open wound?
1: Yeah, the, the first thing I did was to check for any spinal cord or column injuries by um, seeing if he could w- wiggle his fingers and toes and like checking for pain on his back. And then um, asking him, you know, do, do you remember everything? Did you get knocked out? And monitoring it to see if it, any severe headache came on and giving him some nice painkillers too. <laughs>
3: nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, like, are you super comfortable with, like, body and like poop and stuff now. Like, I don't know, like it feels like a very like kind of nasty experience.
1: Yeah. I super thought that I would, I hate that feeling of like going for a run or doing something active and being a little bit sweaty and not have not being able to get dry with a shower or like clean and dry. Yeah. And I thought that would bother me a lot, but it didn't at all. I wore the same clothing every single day. Yeah. Like I had one change of clothes and that was I would sometimes sleep in it, but I would take it off and put on a tank top and shorts to sleep in mostly. And then I put that same sometimes still sweaty clothing back on my body and it was not, it was fine. (laughs) And the same thing with, (laughs) yeah, the same thing with um, pooping and peeing outdoors. It's actually super nice. It honestly feels cleaner than a toilet. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's just like this nice smooth, bit of dirt and a bunch of people aren't continually pooping on it. You yeah. Know?
3: The the only thing that I think would make me feel gross is not being able to like wash my hands under running water.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Purell was definitely essential for that. Uh, but yeah, totally. And also having my period on trail is, was not super nice. Um, hmm. just because that's like, a little bit messier than those other things. Did you, like, have to...
0: I mean, I guess you have to just take all of your trash along with you until you get to somewhere where you can dump it, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Yeah, I just had a trash Because, if like you can't... I'm trying to... Like, I'm trying to think... Like, you couldn't use, like, any of those, like, diva cups or anything like that if you're on the trail because it's, like, that... Those things all kind of, like, require running water, right?
1: Yeah. I know some people that use them, but for me, I don't feel like it's... It didn't feel super sanitary to me to not be able to wash mm-hmm. them and to be taking them out and reinserting them. Um but we just right. packed everything out. Um you you bury your poop in a cat hole and then everything else you pack up. And I think now the recommendation mm-hmm. is to also carry out your poop, but um that's heavy. So <laughs> probably not.
0: Yeah. yeah, choose your own adventure on that. One. Widely enforced. Yeah. yeah. It's also
3: just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to be carrying a bag of poop yeah. of your own poop.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not
3: nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you, I mean, you, were you ever scared that you were going to be bored before going on the trail? I feel like I know, I know you pretty well as a human and know that you're like into like repetitive and meditative tasks. So like, I don't know, were you ever going to, were you ever scared of being like, just like fucking bored out of your mind?
1: I thought I would be. I so thought I would be. I thought that I would Run out of audiobooks. I thought this is the period of my life where I will listen to more audiobooks than ever before. I think I listened to two. I thought I would be so bored, mm-hmm. but it was so, so nice to just be hiking and focusing on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, I think I listened to the same music over and over again. Um, DeAndre made me a playlist. So that was clutch. That was like one of the three playlists I had on my phone. I only listened to
3: those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you are just walking and thinking most of the
1: time. Yeah.
3: Or like, or yeah. like not thinking.
1: Wow. Do
3: you, feel, do you feel like you're
1: sometimes not thinking? Yeah, do you feel
3: like your mind was kind clear? of just
1: observing? It, it was like a frog like, on a lily pad. Yeah. It totally. <laughs> like existing. Yeah. Existing. <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't hurt that it was exceptionally beautiful. Um, yeah. I think before the trail, I saw a lot of things online that were like, don't let Instagram fool fool you. It's not beautiful scenery every single day. I actually think it was beautiful every day. I actually, you know, of course there are some days that it's a bummer and you can't appreciate it. But Mm -hmm. I really felt like I was in a, I don't know, beautiful music video or something.
3: I think people take for granted like Mm -hmm. quote unquote regular stuff, you know, like. Yeah. Just being in like in a forest, I find that to be like very beautiful and serene, even if you're not like on top of a mountain or something, you know?
1: Yeah, it was really special.
3: And like just being in a desert is pretty like magical and like very kind of surreal too.
1: Yeah. And also on the landscape, I thought it was really neat that we moved through ecosystems in a way I wasn't expecting. I was before leaving really sad about leaving my house plants and garden behind because I felt like I wouldn't have an ongoing connection with greenery and things that grow. And that wasn't true at all. I felt like, yes, I wasn't seeing the same plant growing, but I was seeing 10 million cacti in different stages. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. And um, it was neat to see how the ecosystem changed as you would go lower or higher in elevation it felt like you were moving through the seasons.
3: Yeah. That shit's really cool. It's
1: very special.
3: A very yeah. small microcosm. I think like I got that when I was in uh, Joshua tree, which is uh, yeah. two different deserts, as many people probably know. And like one of the deserts, I can't remember if it's the Mojave or the Colorado, but one of them has like, one of them has Joshua trees because I think it's on a higher elevation and one of them doesn't. And as you as you move through the national park, you see like slowly... More and more uh, Joshua trees like appearing until like finally you're surrounded by them and like the terrain's very different.
1: I can imagine experiencing that on some of your train journeys as well, just seeing the world yeah. around you change. In yeah, a
3: it's very. I it's I I I was surprised just I was surprised by how gradual it is. It's like it really is like yeah these two ecosystems like blending together and merging together, and it's really cool to be in like the in between zones where like you see little elements of both as you're like moving in from one end to the other. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When uh, we, before we started the trail, I didn't know what a Joshua tree was and I didn't know what one was. I'd heard the word Joshua tree, but I didn't know what one was until I saw it. And we'd been seeing yuccas for maybe a month at that point. And Ava and I were just flabbergasted. We were like, oh my gosh, this is like that other plant, but it's on a tree. What's going on here? I feel like I'm witnessing evolution. And it was a really neat way to learn because you can't look things up when you don't have service, so you just have to intuit and write down all of your questions, and you learn a lot just by um, <laughs> by observing,
0: just like all humans had to do basically before, like a hundred years ago or whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe we had books. When did we have books? I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's sort of like pretty much like you know what the whole the our, our our number one way of gathering knowledge right yeah loved it Through he- throughout Hucked history up. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like think about the number of things that you could just totally get wrong you're like oh huh, i see this thing and i see this thing like this must be what's going on you know and
1: it, it, like <laughs> right yeah the first joshua tree we saw i think we thought like this is a mutated yucca this is not its own thing and then we saw more of them and yeah of course yeah We figured it out.
0: Which of the different, like, it seems like you probably saw all of the different terrains, like imaginable. Which one was your favorite? Which part of the the hike was your
1: favorite? I love the Sierra, which is a uh, mountainous region I talked about a little bit in California. I love snow and I love cold weather and cold air. And it was really, really beautiful to go over mountain passes every day. And on the other side of the pass, see this amazing scenery, mountains that went forever, and these beautiful glacial lakes that were just blue from the glacial till that had drained into them. Um, Often the streams that were in the area felt like they could weave on forever and they had golden trout in them and they were crystal clear. You could just see all of that right there, it felt unreal.
3: Margo, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Would you You're so Would welcome. you recommend doing it? The PCT?
1: Yes. Yes, and anyone that wants to hike the PCT, hit me up. I clearly love talking about it, so we can chat.
3: Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I I mean, did you have any like going into it? Did you have any one that you could like ask questions to? Like would you know any any PCT hikers.
1: Yeah. A a friend of mine from college, uh, had hiked the PCT. We planned to talk before it, but we actually didn't end up connecting, but I really loved seeing their experience remotely just from being in touch. And I feel like, um, the internet is such a great resource this way these days that I learned a lot on there.
3: Nice. Cool. Well, um, what's something that you're looking forward to? In the future,
1: well, I'm looking forward to the next time that I hike the PCT, <laughs> whenever that be. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm hoping to um, do a little bit of hiking this spring and disconnect a little bit, get off the grid for a few days. Mm,
3: beautiful, cool. Well, do you have anything you want to plug?
1: Um, yeah, I don't have anything I want to plug. Just the beauty of being away from our phones. So I'll plug that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not really what you meant, but I'm no, all I mean, for
3: people, it. People do personal like abstract yeah. plugs all the time on the show. Uh, so yeah, yeah, listen to this podcast and then turn it <laughs> up. Turn just turn off your phone. Do something else. And, uh, and as always, you can find us at I'm the villain pod. That's our Twitter our Gmail and our, and our Instagram. Otherwise, bye.